Good morning, everyone. I, uh, there's a couple things that um, I need to preface you with before we get started. One is that I'm, I'm primarily used to speaking to middle school students. I, I'm vice principal at a school, and I, I teach mostly middle schoolers. And I'm primarily used to teaching them and, or speaking to them. And the, the great thing about speaking to middle schoolers is when you, uh, when you speak to them, they will give you your absol- their absolute undivided attention for 20 minutes. And then right at the 20-minute mark, something happens. And it's like universal for every middle. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like this. And you've seen it before, right? This thing comes over their face, and they're not thinking about what you're, they're not thinking about what you're speaking on anymore. They're thinking about, like, food, you know? And then it's like, what kind of food? Good food. Where can I get good food? And then they're just, and then that's where they're at. And so, um, this one may not go, this one may not be too long, because I was looking at it going, oh, I don't know, we might get out of here by 10.05, but that's right, because we went long last week, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, and there are things, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what algorithm we use to decide who speaks on what, but for some reason, somebody thought it was a good idea that I should speak about suffering, and I don't know what it is about me that made people think, you know who would be good to speak about suffering is Nathan, that would be really good. Yeah, thank you. But uh, suffering for Jesus, which is what we're talking about today, it's not the first thing that we think about when it comes to our faith. It's also not the first thing that we, uh, we tell non-believers about why they should follow Jesus, right? Like no, no Christian, when sharing the gospel, says, you know why you should give your life to God? Because you get to suffer, you know? Um, but that's what the Bible talks about, right? Read the letters of Paul and, and 1 Peter. They talk about joining in Jesus' suffering and rejoicing that we get to do that. And yet it's not something that we talk about that often because we fear that it might turn some people off to Jesus. I mean, when Jesus himself talked about suffering, people turned away. They said it was too much. And they said, this is not what I signed up for. And so, so oftentimes we, we acknowledge that suffering is a part of this journey, but we don't really consider it sometimes because of where and, and how we live. We don't have to struggle with the question of, of would I die for my faith? You know, in fact, I don't know that we have to struggle with the question of would I die for anything? You know, I mean, when it comes to things that we would die for, I don't know that that faith would be at the top of our list or that anything would be at the top of our list. I mean, think about it, like what cause or idea would you, would you really die for? You know, and how does that compare to your faith? And then, and then we use that phrase a lot, you know, I would die for this or I would die for that. And, and um, a lot of the, the, the ways that we use that, the, the causes that we say that, that we would die for, they're not, they're not like the most noble of causes, you know. A lot of times they're like fairly insignificant or stupid things. Like one of the things I realized that I would, I would absolutely die for, and I'm just being honest with you here, have you guys ever, you know when you're, um, when you're driving up P.E. Kwan, you're making that left turn to get onto the freeway? See, this is great. Everybody knows what I'm talking. You guys all know what I'm talking about already. This is awesome. So when you're driving up Peacoy, right, you're making the left turn. There's three left turn lanes. We all know this, right? The, the, the first left turn lane, that doesn't mean anything, right? That's the one that goes to the post office, takes you back around to Pensacola Avenue, okay? The middle left turn lane is the one that you take when you want to go on the freeway. That's the one that all the Christians ride in, right? That's the one that all the honest people, this is where we are, Right? The, the third left turn lane is the lane for the sinners and those going hell, right? Because we all know what happens, right? Everybody wants to go on the freeways in that second lane, right? And, and, and the people in that third lane, what do they do? They try to bypass all the traffic. They make that turn, and then what? They try to squeeze in, 
right? They try to cut in. And I've just decided that I'm just not going to let my brothers and sisters sin anymore. <laughs> and so when I take that second lane, I just make sure that nobody cuts in front of me. Like, I will go all fast and the furious and, like, six inches in front of the guy in front of me so that nobody, I don't care if the guy has a signal on. It's literally like, it's like one of those things where I don't care if he hits me. I don't care if I ruin the guy, if we're in the guy in front of me. I will die before I let anybody get into that lane, before I see somebody else stumble. Now, have I ever had, have I ever had a moment, and you guys can join me in that commitment, by the way. Let's all die for that. But... <laughs> Have I ever had a moment where that commitment was put to the test where I almost died not letting somebody into that lane? I would rather not say. But I, I doubt that many of us have ever been faced with a situation where we've had to suffer or potentially face death because of what we believe or because of a cause. Even though that kind of threat happens in other parts of the world, I've known missionaries to China, and in China, it's against the law to proselytize or to share the gospel with others. You can't even say that you're a Christian missionary. So when missionaries go to China, they kind of go undercover. They go uh, teaching English or to run orphanages or start businesses. But sometimes the, the police and the government, they find out what they're really doing, and their lives are threatened. And one story I remember hearing was um, in the middle of the night, there was this couple who was there to teach English, and they got a phone call from somebody later in the middle of the night who said, the police know that you and your wife are Christians, and they may be coming for you right now. And they literally had minutes to, to pack what they could. They left almost everything behind and bolt to the airport or train station to get out of China. And, and, and thank God that we're not under that kind of threat in our country. Um, and it's part of the reason why we don't take the idea of suffering for Jesus seriously. And yet Jesus makes it very clear that suffering is part of having a relationship with him. We're going through the book of Mark in the Bible, and we're calling this series Real Life, because the stuff that we read in Mark, they're not just stories and teachings about what happened 2,000 years ago. They impact, or they should impact, how we live and how we view our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with each other. And one of the great things about, about this series is that we're, we're just going right into to God's word. And uh, the great thing about God's word is that it's truth, Right? And when, when you read truth, that can be life-changing. It can be life-affirming. And, and I know that there are, there are some people here right now who are just struggling. You're suffering. And, and I'm going to kind of jump to the end here. My application for you is simply this. When you struggle with whatever it is you're struggling with, suffering in whatever it is you're suffering with, read God's word. Read God's word and be encouraged by the truth in that. This section of Mark that we're in right now, chapters 7 through 10, it's a really, really tough section of teaching. Last week, we, we talked about staying pure with our thoughts and actions, and that's, a, a, that's not an easy thing. Today, it's going to be about suffering, and next week, it's going to be about surrender. So buckle up, because these are not easy things. But if we're committed to pursuing this relationship with Jesus, we have to talk about these things because Jesus makes it very, very clear that if we're to pursue a relationship with him, it's going to involve things that we won't like. And even Jesus' own disciples didn't like the things that he said about pursuing him. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and uh, I'm going to begin at verse 27. It says that Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you are one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, 
But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That word Messiah means anointed, and it's anointed like a king. And in the Old Testament, when the Messiah is talked about, he's referred to as being a king who would reign on David's throne and establish a new everlasting kingdom. And the Israelites thought that that meant that when the Messiah came, that he would free them from the Roman government and create a new kingdom where their Messiah rules the world. And that's what the disciples thought Jesus was. That's what they thought he would do. So when Peter says, you are the Messiah, he and his disciples believe that at some point, Jesus is going to build up this great following that will overthrow the Roman Empire and free their people. And Jesus acknowledges to his disciples that he is the Messiah, but he also warns them not to tell anyone because of the expectations that people had about who the Messiah is supposed to be. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus or with anyone, we go in with expectations. And sometimes the relationship does not match those expectations. And that's what's happening with Jesus and his followers. The disciples defined their relationship with Jesus as as one day he's going to overthrow the Romans. And instead, Jesus in this chapter of Mark redefines that relationship. In verse 31, the very next thing, it says that Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. So instead of Jesus confirming the disciples' idea of him, he changes it completely. And he says he's going to suffer many terrible things and die. And Peter tries to get Jesus to stop talking like that because he thinks that Jesus is destined to rule over the world. And instead, Jesus is saying that he is destined to suffer and die. And not only that, but Jesus tells his followers that if they want a relationship with him, they need to share in that suffering. And that's how Jesus defines a relationship with him. Pursuing Jesus is a relationship that is defined by him and not us. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about how we don't get to pick and choose what is pure and what is not. And the same is true about our relationship with Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose what parts of the Christian faith we want to accept and the parts that we don't. We don't get to define our relationship with Jesus because he's God and we aren't. And the way that Jesus defines pursuing him is giving up our own way and taking up our cross, which was the symbol of suffering and death. And even though that sounds bad, it's actually not, because the way that the Bible frames suffering is that suffering is how we identify and we remove sin in our lives. If you read 1 Peter 4, it says that whoever suffers in the body, that's whoever suffers physically or whoever suffers on this earth, is done with sin. And as a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for human desire. So the suffering identifies what we need to remove or what God is working on in our lives. Does anybody here watch Grey's Anatomy? Some people do. That's awesome. I don't. But I used to. I used to watch Grey's Anatomy, but then, like, people died, and then there was, like, a plane crash, and more people died, and I just couldn't follow it anymore. But early on, I remember there was this episode. It's about doctors, by the way. Early on, I remember there was this episode uh, where this girl came in, and she couldn't feel any pain. 
There was something in her brain that like blocked the pain section there and she couldn't feel any pain. And at first, everybody thought it was like this cool superpower that she had, you know? Like, did you ever, did you ever like play the game where you could see who would stick their hand in the cooler of water the longest? No, I mean, I've never played that either. But have you ever played that, you know, like when you were kids or last week or something? Um, that was one of the things that the doctors used to test pain tolerance in this episode. And this girl was outlasting all of these big, strong doctors. And everyone thought it was like the coolest thing. You don't feel any pain. But later in the episode, the girl almost dies because she has internal bleeding and she couldn't feel the pain from the internal bleeding. And that's why, and she had no way of knowing that something was wrong. And that's why pain is necessary. It's necessary because pain tells us when something isn't right. And that's why suffering for Jesus is necessary because it's in that suffering that the Holy Spirit shows us what sin we need to deal with or how we need to grow. Otherwise, we go through our lives thinking everything between us and God is fine when it's actually not. And so when Jesus defines a relationship with him as suffering, it may sound bad, but that suffering helps us to become more like him. In the next verses in Mark 8, Jesus explains what a relationship with him requires. In verse 35, he he says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Pursuing Jesus is not convenient. It's not convenient, but it's worth it. Now, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I know enough parents to know that having kids is not convenient. Like, when you decided to have kids, I'll bet it was not out of convenience, right? Like, you didn't go, hey, you know what to make our lives more convenient? Having kids, right? You didn't, you didn't have kids or choose to have kids because it was convenient. When you become a parent, your whole life changes. It's, it's kind of like not your life anymore. You, and, and, and you give that up, but why? Because being a parent is worth it, right? right being a parent is worth it. Right, okay, cool. All right, cool. All right. I, I, meet a lot of, I meet a lot of parents in my job, and I can tell you that, that when parents try to make parenting convenient, when they try to designate specific times to be a parent, or when they place their own needs and their own desires above their kids, that relationship with their kids suffers tremendously. Because at some point, the child realizes, I'm not more important to my mom or dad than their job. My mom or dad would rather go out drinking or hanging out with their friends than spending time with me. Grandma or grandpa might as well be mom or dad because I spend more time with them than I do with my parents. And there's so many relationships that we have, our kids, our marriage, that all require this intentional care and prioritizing. And oftentimes, doing that is not convenient. It would be so much easier if we just did what we want to do when we want to do it all the time, but then we'd lose those relationships relationships. So why do we sacrifice? Why do we sacrifice for our marriage or for our kids? Because the relationship is worth it. And the same is true of our relationship with Jesus, and even more so. If we try to make our relationship with Jesus convenient, our relationship with him is going to suffer. If we try to to fit Jesus into our lives, pretty soon there won't be a relationship. See, Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. And that means giving up our lives, taking up that cross with him and sharing in his suffering. And that's how he defines a relationship with him. It's not convenient, but it's worth it. And why is it worth it? Because like most relationships, it's worth it because of what we gain. Jesus says in verse 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And this is where our faith 
This is where it kind of gets a little meta because Jesus is talking about what we choose to pursue and what we choose to care about, this world or our souls. And those two things are not the same, but sometimes we try to make them the same. Pursuing Jesus is not, it's not a substitute for pursuing money or earthly goals. We sometimes tend to think about faith in God as something that's worth living for more than the other things. That living for Jesus is, is better than living for wealth. It's better than living for status. And that's true, but the purpose of a relationship with Jesus isn't to replace pursuing those other things. And that's why some people end up falling short or falling out of their pursuit of Jesus. Money isn't enough. Lots of stuff isn't enough. Career achievements aren't enough. And so they try Jesus thinking that Jesus will be enough, but it's not. And at least not in the same way, because a relationship with Jesus isn't about filling that hole of enough in our lives. Enough is about feeling satisfied with our earthly lives, but that's not the purpose of a relationship with Jesus. It's not about filling that hole of enough. It's about giving up that hole of enough completely. Because what's the benefit of gaining enough on earth if it costs us our souls? Ultimately, the purpose of pursuing Jesus is not for anything we can gain here. It's about our souls. And as believers, as Christians, we believe in a place called heaven. And it's a place where our souls can spend eternity with God. These bodies that we have, this universe that we live in, they're just containers for this thing called our soul. And when we die, it's the physical that dies, but our souls are eternal. And the crazy thing is that it's the decisions that we make while we're here in the physical that determines what happens to our souls for eternity. And it's a difficult concept to grasp, and it's an even more difficult thing or a difficult purpose to live our lives for because our physical lives, they seem so long. We, we live our lives by hours and days and years, but it's nothing compared to forever, and that's really hard to understand. And thank God there are people smarter than me who can explain this better than I can, but here's what I know. Jesus has called us to live for the eternal. The ultimate goal of a relationship with Jesus is heaven. And that's what the disciples didn't understand at the time. They thought the goal of the relationship with Jesus was to gain something here on earth. And here Jesus is saying, no, it's different than that. If you live your life in order to gain this life, you'll end up losing your soul. But there's also, there's also I think, something that's very encouraging and reassuring and faith-building that happens when we live our lives for heaven. Some of you right now, some of you right now, you're just, you're just struggling with life. You're struggling with life. You're living your life for Jesus. You're, you're pursuing him with everything, but you are just suffering. And you're suffering, and you don't feel like that there is an end. You don't see an end. And, and you feel like giving up. And, I, and I, have, I have been there. I have been to those points where, where the suffering was so much that I just told God, God, just take it away. Just make it end, you know. And people would, people would tell me, this is going to be an incredible testimony one day. And you're going to get through this. You're going to come on the other side. And you're going to be able to share this with others. And I just flat out didn't care. It, the suffering was so great that I just flat out didn't care. And it was one of those things where I said, if I reject God right now, would the pain go away? And, and, getting, and being at that point, and some of you guys are right there, where the suffering is just so great that you just feel like giving it all up. And if we thought about our lives as only being here on earth, it'd be really, really easy to give up. But when we live our, when we live our lives for heaven, when we live our lives for that purpose of going, the goal of, of, of my life is not here, and it's not to survive this. The goal of my life is to serve God with all my heart so that I can get to heaven. When we, when, when we live our lives like that and think about our lives in that way, 
then when those struggles come, we get to say this. We get to say we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We suffer for Jesus because we know that that suffering is temporary, but life with Jesus is eternal. And so, and so if we want to live a life like that, let's ask God to redefine the purpose of our lives by first redefining the purpose of our relationship with him. That living for Jesus is not about living for this world. Living for Jesus is about living for heaven. Can we all stand together as we pray? I'm just going to pray two things. One, I, I'm going to pray um, that... I'm going to pray that we apply the word of God to our, our life in the way that, 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 that says, you know what, when I get frustrated or I feel like giving up or maybe when I feel like lashing out, that I want to turn to God's word and I'm going to turn to the truth and get peace from that. And the second thing is for those of you guys who are suffering, for those of you guys who are just, just struggling, and I'm just going to pray peace right now. Peace to understand that if we live our lives for Jesus, that suffering is temporary, but life with Jesus is eternal. Let's pray. Lord, God, I want to thank you for uh, being our God and, and being a God who is the God of peace, being a God who says, who says suffer along, along with me because that suffering is temporary, because that suffering in the end is going to be good for us, God, even though it doesn't seem like it right now. And so, Lord, I pray that when those struggles come, when those, uh, those temptations come for us to uh, to feel like giving up, for us to feel like abandoning serving you, Lord, that we turn to your word where it says that that suffering is temporary, that we're pressed on all sides, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed, Lord. And I pray for those of us who are going through that right now, God, and I just pray that, that as, as they go through this journey, Lord, that you would begin to, to comfort them, let them know that you're there, God, but also let them know that, that this world is not, this world's not our home. And that our home is, is, is in heaven and one day we get to, we get to be there with you and, and let that be an encouragement. Um, let that be an encouragement to all of us, God. And so, Lord, um, we, we give up and surrender whatever, whatever our definition of enough is and say, God, you're more than enough for us and, 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 and you're the reason why we live and you're the reason why we choose to continue going on despite this suffering, God. So as we worship you and as we close, Lord, be enough for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.